Famous, the only board gaming podcast that's already out of funny intros. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined as always with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. We start, as always, with, hey, Michael, what you been playing? So, unfortunately, the board game convention I was supposed to go to here in Charlotte, or the Charlotte area, was canceled due to the rise of Delta Variant. That's Minimoose, right? This is the Mega Moose. Mini Moose are... This convention is run by a family. Um, a dad, his wife, and their daughter. And they... In the before times, they would have three every year. Do they just do it at their house? <laughs> uh, an Elk's Lodge. So three of the Mini Mooses would be at an Elk's Lodge. And then they do a Mega Moose, which was all three days of the weekend at a convention center. A small one, but a convention center nonetheless. And so uh, that got canceled, got refunded, which was nice. But I had a had a friend who was uh, going to come up for the weekend, uh, got canceled, came up, and uh, we ended up having our own personal Mini Moose, or what we called the fake, uh, our fake Mega Moose is what we called it, <laughs> at a friend's house <laughs> instead, so... Conventions that you throw yourself can be really fun. <laughs> it was it was actually really nice. It was really nice. So yeah, there were six of us, which I I have to say is the hardest board gaming number. <laughs> two two games of three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are like very few games of six, and if you're going to be playing two games of three, then someone's going to end up waiting. If you want to rotate groups, which is fine, it's fine. But we did end up playing all six-player games uh, the entire day. So, uh, you know, it was probably about a 12-hour day, and uh, between the six of us, we played five games. So the first game we played, I'm going to talk about more in the next segment. It is, uh, spoilers, uh, Railways of the World. And then we played Quacks of Kenlundberg and... You listeners out there might be saying, oh, hey, that doesn't play six players. Oh, but dear listener, it does when you buy two copies. <laughs> it, it plays the exact same whether or not you have five or six people because everything's happening co-currently and you have unlimited resources. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also played Isle of Cats again. Well, I, I do want to roll back to that. Is that the was during that convention the picture you sent where you just had all that bad luck and you had all the yeah. bad chips in a row? Yeah, uh, for the people on our Discord, that was the day that I sent a picture of Quacks, and it was uh, Quacks is a press your luck game where you're pulling uh, chips from a bag trying to make this most powerful potion, but there's these bad luck chips, and when you pull a certain value of them in total and you're into your potion your potion explodes and you you get less out of your potion than you would. And so I sent a picture of me basically getting one good chip and then a succession of <laughs> bad chips in a row. You didn't just send a picture. You also sent obscenities. <laughs> <laughs> we may not cuss in the podcast, but we cuss on the discord during the discord. <laughs> but yeah, uh, like I was saying, we played Iowa cats, um, <laughs> cute cats with a uh, dark premise if you remember back to our last one of our last episodes and we played a couple smaller games we played uh cartographers with um colored pencils that's a another polyomino game where you're drawing shapes on a map but the shapes are different terrain 
And uh, so I bought colored pencils and I brought a bunch uh, for everyone to use. And so instead of just using a basic gray pencil and drawing it, we got to make nice, pretty maps, which was fun. I mean, anything you can do to make it pop. Oh, yeah. Everyone had a blast. Uh, what pack size of colored pencils? I bought the, was it the 12 color pack? Is that the standard one? I think that's standard. You, you know, nothing. it's not colored pencils, so you're not going to get the detail for those small squares and cartographers. I'm just thinking of that 64-pack Crayola that had the sharpener in the back. <laughs> <laughs> I bought the, uh, I bought four 12-packs because they were on sale for back to school. <laughs> <laughs> if you want the honest answer. <laughs> That's a, that was a great idea. That was me walking through Target saying, ooh! <laughs> <laughs> I know just what to do with that. It was one of those Target trips where it's like, oh, I just need one thing, and you come, you go to the register full, <laughs> with your arms full. <laughs> and, and honestly, mine's usually with board games, because Target has a great board game selection. Increasingly better. Increasingly better. Target's where I got my copy of Parks, because my local game store was out of it, and they couldn't get it for several months, and so they just told me to get it wherever I could, and I was like, that's my blessing. The last game that we played was For Sale, which is an auction-style game. You buy, you bid on properties of certain values, and then you use those properties to win money. So basically, you have 30 cards in a deck. Uh, their values are 1 to 30. This is in a six-player game. Their values are 1 to 30. And you reveal six cards. And you bid uh, and you, you bid on them. And the first player to pass takes the lowest card that is shown. And then the second player to pass takes the second lowest. And so on and so forth, and the last person gets to take the highest card that's there. But the key rule is, if you bid any money and you end up passing later, you have to pay half that money rounded up. So if there's only one really good card, like say there's a 30, and then a 12, 9, 5, 3, and 1. It, it can be dangerous <laughs> if, to bid. If you bet, if you bet high trying to get that 30, and you don't end up getting it, and you ended up betting a big amount, you're losing half for not very good. And then you use those properties to get money. And so it's it's a, like a double bidding phase. And it's, it goes really quick. It's a lot of fun. It was a really good uh, palate cleanser for a long day of board games. So that was our fake Mega Moose that we did. Awesome. So David, what you been playing? Well, I just got back from vacation not too long ago. And I think Ellen and I took a record number of board games with us on our trip. Uh, we flew to Iceland, had a lovely time. I'd love to talk to you about it, but this isn't a podcast about travel. It's a podcast about board games. It could be. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Maybe next. We could just change, we could, we could change our subjects and uh, our tags on the uh, podcast platform right now. <laughs> <laughs> travel and board games. Yeah, so we took a record number of games with us. We took, and, and every single game we played at least once, which was incredible to, for me, I thought. Uh, so we took Herbaceous which is a nice little set collection drafting kind of game. Fungi, which is a nice set collection card drafting kind of game. And then we played Hanamakoji, which is, it was a really unique game. It's set collection and kind of card drafting. <laughs> I'm uh, sensing a theme here. Yeah, something that's easy to take on planes are small card games, and these all fit in the card protector that we bought to uh, take with us. However, we also had uh, a game called uh, the T-Dragon Society card game. It's based off of the comic book T-Dragon Society, so it's just a delightful little deck builder. Uh, more, more hand management than deck builder. 
But we did have an actual deck builder. Uh, the biggest game we brought was Fort, its own large deck of cards, and that worked out really well. Um, we took a regular deck of cards to play just card games with us. Ellen likes to play a game called Nerds. I learned how to play Regicide, which is one of the latest Shut Up and Sit Down videos. Shout outs to Shut Up and Sit Down. Go watch uh, Go watch their stuff. You might not have heard about them. You, you may not have heard about them. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ellen also, we also brought a game called Illimat, which is a game that was used in a music video for the Decemberists. And the Decemberists are a band that likes to play games on tour. And while they were looking at this music video, they're like, yeah, we should, we should make this a game. So they, they did. I don't know if they're the actual designers. Wait, so it was a fake board game in their music video? Yeah, it was a fake game first, and then somebody designed it for them. It's, Very nice. It's fine. Ellen loves it. So we play it all the time. Because you love your wife. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I do not. Shut up. <laughs> you can choose whether or not you want to edit that out. <laughs> uh, no, I'm leaving it in, and I'm also going to leave this part in. Ellen, I love you. <laughs> what else did you play? While I was there in Iceland, we stopped by a board game cafe. And then we stopped by it again, and then we stopped by it again, and I think we went a total of four times. Four times in three days, right? I think it was four times in four days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and we ended up going to their game night on thir- on Thursday nights. They have a free access to their library, which is normally $5, uh, yeah, about $5 for the day. We went for the free night. Uh, we ended up playing Wingspan and Calico. A few games that we owned, but uh, we were teaching them to a new person, so... We wanted something we were very familiar with. Very nice. Were uh, most of the people at the board game night Icelandic? Very much so. Uh, obscenely Icelandic. And I will talk about that more later. The last game I want to talk about is whenever I go to, whenever I go places, I like, especially board game cafes in other cities, I like to pick up some game and bring it back. And the souvenir that I brought home with me is a game called Micro Macro Crime City. This is one of the games that Michael and I were both looking forward to. It's hard to get in America right now, but it's easily accessible in Europe. So I got to bring it home and it is a blast. If I had to describe it, it's like Where's Waldo had a baby with the TV show Arthur and that family grew up in Detroit. Would you say that the hardest part was reading uh, the instructions in Icelandic? No, it's in English. Oh, very nice. And very, very few games are produced in Icelandic. So all the board games they had were in English. Is there much more you can say about it without spoiling it? I I was impressed. The concept of Where's Waldo and Crime doesn't sound like a functional board game. It is a cooperative deduction game where you're looking at this large map takes up our entire table. The way it works is... The giant map is, it's not an instance of time. You can trace time through it and see characters in multiple locations. And as you follow, if you, as you follow along with their day, they're in a different spot on the map. And that's... You follow, yeah, so you follow time through space. Yeah, you follow time through space on this map. And it works out way better than I thought it would. There are misdirects because they have characters that look the same. Or they, that look similar. So you have to make sure you're following the right character. You have to be make sure you're observing the clothes that they were wearing. And because you're passing through them in time, you have to keep track of what changes between their instances. We're, we're already almost done. We love it. We'll let you borrow it as soon as you get 
as, as soon as we meet up. Well, we have a few more games to talk about, but those games are going to be mentioned on The Road to the 100! I believe we've each played a game on the top 100 since we've last recorded. Yeah, and I talked about it briefly uh, in the last segment. The game that I played was Railways of the World, specifically the Eastern U.S. map. Uh, this is a train game, um, you know, a very rare genre of games in uh, in board gaming. <laughs> in case you can't tell, that is sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, and so that was the first game that we played at my fake Mega Moose, or fake moose. And that was designed by uh, Glenn Drover and Martin Wallace, uh, published by Eagle Griffin Games. Uh, this game has different maps for different sections of the world, you know, railways of the world. So we played the Eastern United States map. There's a Western United States map. There's a Japan map. And there are several others. I don't know all the maps off the top of my head. It has a very worldly feel for some of the different things. Uh, and this follows a, you know, traditional railway style game where you're starting in the east and you're building west. Is it more about route building than stock manipulation? It is more about route building than uh, stock manipulation because you own a particular company unlike uh, buying into companies and you you get to manipulate that company's actions based on your ownership. This, you own one company and you're just building rail railways and shipping goods. So it was a lot of fun. Took a couple hours. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot of competition up in the northeast because there's a lot of cities close together. And I was down in the southeast uh, just enjoying uh, shipping from <laughs> from Charleston. <laughs> just shipping to the small towns over and over again. Just making small shipments over and over again <laughs> as people were fighting a bunch. Would you play it again? <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's good. Absolutely. Because I uh, hope you would teach it to me. So, in terms of train games, for its length, I would say it is one of my favorites. You know, I've talked previously about the 18xx Light trilogy that's out uh, with Irish Gage, Iberian Gage, and Ride the Rails. Ride the Rails. Those are all good light games. Uh, their mechanics are simpler, and they play a little bit quicker. And for the length, I say that... Uh, I would say that Railways of the World uh, takes a lot while to set up, but it's a lot of fun. While I was on vacation, I got to play Five Tribes, which is in the top 100. It's designed by Bruno Catala, released by Days of Wonder, designed in 2014. It's one that I'd heard quite a bit about, um, and I finally got a chance to play it. Somebody from the Board Game Cafe in Iceland taught it to us. It's a, it's a Mancala-style game. So there's a grid of tiles on the board, and you pick up all the meeples from one tile, and you start placing them on tiles next to you, next to you, next to you, until when you place your last one, you pick up all the meeples of that color. And you get to perform an action based on the color of the meeple you picked up and the number that you picked up. So there's like green that give you extra goods, blues that just score you bonus points, uh, whites and yellows that are just straight up points at the end of the game, but can also be used to buy special powers. There's reds that uh, assassinate meeples off the board, so you can uh, try and shut down moves from other opponents. It was fun, but it's not 
a game that I think you can play once and have a good opinion about. And I mean that because the game ends in a few ways. Either somebody puts all their camels out on the board and you can play a camel out when a tile's completely emptied by one of your actions, or if there's no valid moves left. And our game ended with no valid moves left because we didn't understand what we were doing, and then we just noticed, oh, hey, we can't do anything right now. I guess the game's over. All right, everybody, go home. <laughs> game's over. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a bummer of an attitude because I think that was the first game we played at the game night. <laughs> oh, jeez. The mechanics were pretty pretty easy to understand because it's Mancala, something that I've played since I was a little kid. That was that part was easy to understand, but since it's not one set path, it's this grid of paths that you can go wherever you want. There's so many options on your turn, and I don't have analysis paralysis, but I can't imagine what that game would do to somebody who does have it. So yeah, uh, I'll totally just invite my friend uh, who has analysis to paralysis to play that with us. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was the game in the one hundred that I got to cross off this this fortnight. So before you can give any recommendations, you would have to yeah, I have to play it again, but but before I figure out if I feel if I feel like it's a good game or not, just because I didn't understand it the first play doesn't mean it's a bad game. Now it's time for Game of the Fortnite, the part of the show where we hold one game above all others, at least for the next two weeks. And this Fortnite, I'd like to talk about Welcome To, a game designed by Benoit Turpin and published by Blue Cocker Games. And Welcome To is one of those games that's come out during the f the roll and write craze, though this one's technically a flip and write. This style of game is most similar to Yahtzee. Yeah, don't give me that look. For the listeners at home, Michael's giving me a stupid look. <laughs> Please, <Yahtzee>. continue. <laughs> Yahtzee was the grandfather of all rolling rights. You roll some dice, you take those dice, and you make a little you make little markings on your own your own little score sheet. And a few years back, a rolling right craze happened, and Welcome To was one of those games that came out during the during the golden era of rolling rights. This one is actually a flip and right where you have several decks of cards where you flip cards over. And on one side is a number, on another side is a special action. So you have these these action number pairs. Uh, you're taking these numbers and putting them on one of the streets of your own personal score sheet. And you're trying to number your streets like you would from lowest to highest. Uh, throughout this, you're taking actions and scoring various points for adding parks to the street, building pools on these houses, uh, fencing off little neighborhoods and scoring sections. It's a really elegant little flip and write game. So how do you feel about Welcome To? I would say that I like Welcome To uh, is probably one of my favorite rolls slash flipping rights that came out of that era. I'm going to just preface and say I don't own it, uh, but I do really like it. Uh, there's something special about it in the fact that, like you said, there are actions that you take creating a park, building fences, uh, filling in pools, all these kind of stuff that you do to develop a neighborhood. And you can't focus on all all these different actions you have to pick like two out of the six kinds of actions and try to focus on those because you, you, the more you do those actions the more you maximize your points so i like that aspect of of this uh and another thing that i like is the advanced information that you get when you flip over the cards you can see the kinds of actions that are coming ahead but you don't necessarily know that the numbers 
that are going to be associated with it. And so you can look at it and say, oh, this kind of action's coming up, but I don't know if it's going to come with a good number because you have that trade off of, oh, this action's really good, but this number does not work for me because like you said, you have to go sequentially. You have to go from lowest to highest down the, down these streets. And so you might not need a low number because you've already used your ones, twos, threes, fours, fives, whatever, uh, or, you know, skipping some here and there. Uh, and you get that too with the action that you just absolutely wanted. And you're just like, well, doing something else now. <laughs> yeah, it's just this nice balance of uh, you have a certain feel of what's going to come up, but you still have to constantly adapt. Yeah, I really like this game because it's a, it's like you said, you have to adapt. It's constantly making concessions against, oh, that's the action that I want to take but that's not the number that I need right now because uh, the numbers aren't evenly distributed throughout the deck. There's a lot of your middling numbers of six, sevens and eights and only a few one and twos and 13, 14, 15. So when you need your high numbers, but it's associated with an action you don't necessarily want to take, do you take that or do you fill out your last middle number and hope and start, start missing out turns entirely? which could trigger the end of the game before you're ready. What are the oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's another interesting uh, uh, impact of how in-game is triggered. And a lot of roll and writes, it's a certain number of turns. You just play a certain number of rounds, and then that's, that's the end of the game. We're in Welcome 2. The in-game is triggered by, if you cannot take, uh, if you can't place a number, if you can't take an action, you cross off a spot. And if you can't do that three times, game over. Mm-hmm. There are other endgame conditions. That, that's that's typically how the game ends because of our own hubris, just trying to get those perfect those perfect boards, and you end up uh, putting yourself in a position where you can't write numbers down. I have no idea what you're talking about. I have never been so bold to expect a twelve coming really late in the game. <laughs> I need exactly a thirteen pool. <laughs> <laughs> this was one of the games that we played as a family over Zoom during quarantine last year. Um, and I had played it before, but it was just the fact that we were able to just print out our own copies of the map and you had, you had a second camera that was pointing at the cards, uh, for the zoom call and that we were, that we were able to play it as a family, you know, and laugh and be stressed uh, all at the same time. It's, it's, it's nice when a game can bring people together like that, even when it's across several states at that point. <laughs> yeah. Multiple time zones, several states. Isaiah was still in Canada, I think? Yes. So even, that was an international game that we played. <laughs> We're international board gamers. I realized that Welcome 2 was special for, at least Elena and I, the first time we played it. Because I explained the rules a little poorly, I think. But I mean, hey, it was my first time explaining the rules. It's not That's not too big of a deal. And Ellen misunderstood a rule. She thought if... Uh, a section was fenced off, you could restart the numbers. Uh, I said, no, you can't do that. But that had been her plan all along. So she got a little frustrated because she didn't understand what was happening. But even by the end of the game, she realized, oh, even with this point of friction, the misunderstanding, the game was so fun. It got around that frustration and realized that we we realized we needed to own this right away. So I think we, we played it and then immediately went and bought it. Yeah, if I didn't already own three or four different roll slash uh, flipping rights, I think I would. I have Welcome to in my collection. I think there's 
there's something about that genre that's super approachable. It's really easy to bring to the table. It's what it's one of my favorites. It, if I'm hanging out with other people uh, in my board gaming group, that is definitely if someone suggests it's like, oh yeah, super easy. We can use that. Uh, and I don't want to say a warm up because it's a great game. Uh, typically, I do play longer games, but it, if it is our warm up game or warm down or intermediate game, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. So, do you give Welcome to the Board Game Famous Gold Star? Because I have very fond memories of it every single time I have played, I would say that I, Michael, give it the Gold Star. I agree. I'm also going to be giving it the Gold Star. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we're in the golden age of Roland Rights. There's just a new one coming out every other day, it seems. So because of that, to... Uh, to, to stand out from the roll and write crowd, you, it really has to be something special, and I think Welcome To has done that. Now it's time for our next section, Brother Talk. And this fortnight, we are talking about your friendly local board game store and what you like about them. So David, what can you tell me about your friendly local board game store? Well, board game stores nowadays have to compete with online retailers. So the, the, what I'm looking for mostly is, is a service, really. They have to provide some service that outweighs the benefit of just, oh, I can order this game online for cheaper. Don't, don't always do that. Sure, it's, it's a great way to save a dollar, but don't always do it. And the service that I like to take advantage of for most of my friendly local board game stores is game nights. They have a space for you to play, to gather there. Uh, they have a, they usually have a library of games to play from. And it's a great place to just go hang out, try out some new games, and get together with people. On top of that, the people that work there get to know you, get to know your tastes, and they can start recommending games for you, or you can even recommend games for them. Uh, this is a shout-out to Chad, who works at one of the local gaming stores at, uh, in St. Louis. He's a silver fox, and he's always excited to come see... He's always excited to see Ellen and I when we make it into the store. Very, very nice. <laughs> you mentioned that the thing that local game stores needs is a superior service um, to set it above online retail. And um, one of the things that I really like about my local game store, it's one of the first places that I went to whenever I moved here to Charlotte. It was just down the street from where I used to live. Uh, is I got to know that the workers there and they would talk about these games that would come out and they have a, they have a nice pre-order system where you can just say, hey, I'm interested in that game. Can you reserve a copy for me? So whenever they purchase some copies, uh, they'll get one for you. I remember for uh, Wingspan, there was such a distribution and production issue of getting a copy of that early on for a lot of people. I just I just saw that the game was announced. Uh, I, I watched some videos about it, and I was interested, so I w walked into my local game store. You know, I'm there usually about once a week. Mentioned it to them, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're taking pre-orders. You want you want one? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So they put my name down on the list. And uh, however many months later, I go back in there, like, oh, hey, Michael, uh, we got your copy of Wingspan. Uh, you want it? I'm like, yes, 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 <laughs> I do want it. And uh, just, just walked in there. The fact that I forgot about it. <laughs> As I am, I am one to do. I uh, I don't live with things on the top of my mind, <laughs> and uh, was able to pre-order it and didn't have any issues with supply chain or anything like that. Uh, got it to the table that day. Uh, it was it was fantastic. 
Um, and, and like you said, the, the space of being able to hang out and play board games and try board games that you don't normally, to be able to play games that you're not able to play on the regular because you don't own them and it's not any regular friend group because they're in the library or whatnot, that's always a great opportunity. And, uh, and one of the, you know, I'm not always buying board games all the time. I know some people have huge collections. So whenever I go to my local board game store, uh, because they provide this service with nice tables, uh, nice amenities, um, gr- great, uh, uh, great service, and uh, all that. I always try to give them some money to support them. A lot of these board game places serve some kind of beverages or food. Uh, my local board game store uh, serves beer, so I'll get a couple of beers while I'm there. No beers on the table, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever do... Another another service that board game stores can uh, provide are uh, tournaments. Have you ever taken part of a, in a game store tournament? I have not. I have not taken okay. part uh, in a game store tournament. And the before times, I used to go to uh, free RPG day at my local game store every year. Uh, there is an event called Free RPG Day where a lot of RPG tabletop RPG makers. Uh, so. D&D like stuff so Pathfinder, Starfinder, um etc cetera, etc cetera, etc. Cetera. They'll create these one shots and then they'll send them out to all these different stores and these stores get people to have game masters run them and you can usually do about two or three in a single day. So oh, I've fun. done that in the past. I I like to treat board game stores like we used to treat uh, movie rental places where we would go wander the aisles for hours just looking for that perfect perfect movie to rent so now uh that's what i do with all my board game store time is i just wander the aisles maybe find a game that i've missed the dozens of time i've been there but one thing that that my local board game store does that i like they have this separate section much smaller off to the side and that's the staff pick section it's uh it's a three by four calyx uh, and it's just filled with staff picks of what their favorite board games are. And there's, there's something personal about being able to walk up seeing, oh, the staff member likes this board game, and they're working today, so why don't, I, why don't I ask them about it? Tell me why you like it and that kind of thing, because they might not know every single board game that's on their main shelves, but they can at least talk to and appreciate the ones that they have chosen out. Yeah, and that, that's basically how we try it out. Uh, this isn't a board game. These are the movies going back to <laughs> perusing yeah. the Niles for hours. That's how we ended up watching uh, Jackie Chan Thunderbolt and Hot Fuzz. <laughs> a couple Absolutely. of great movies. Both great movies. <laughs> and that stillness in our hearts means it's time for another board game missed connection. And this is a more recent missed connection. Ellen and I were checking out the friendly local game store in Iceland while we were on vacation. While we were there, one of the staff members invited us to come by for their game night. They had a, a sizable game library that was $5 to play all day. Or if you came by on Thursday night, you could play for free. So Ellen and I did. It was their first night open from after... Uh, the lifting of some pandemic protocols in Iceland. And so we were the first two there, and we were the only two there for our first game. And during our first game, 
a guy comes down and asks if he could play with us. And we said, yes, please uh, sit down and, and enjoy. So he waited for us to finish our game and he went up and got a beer, came back down. And then he went up and got another beer and came back down. And then he started playing games with us and he'd go up and get another beer, come back down. <laughs> I believe his name was Frederick or I'm not 100% sure his name could have been Frerick. Something like that. I don't know. You speak the most Icelandic. I can say thank you in Icelandic, uh, <laughs> which is tak. <laughs> but this man drank like he was a Viking, for sure. <laughs> and it was just funny to see him go back up, come back down with another lager. Go back up, come back down with another lager. Go back up, come back down with another lager. I think he drank eight beers while we were uh, while we were playing games. I hope he was local. Oh, he was def- he was definitely local. He wasn't driving. He he was telling us like, oh yeah, I live real close by. I just. Uh, rode my bike here, I'll ride my bike back. And I was like, oh, will you? An eight-beer bike ride, all right. <laughs> he was very, he was a very nice guy, very friendly. And I just, he left an impression on me. But because he lives in Iceland and I don't, I'll probably never get to play another board game with him. So he just becomes another board gaming missed connection. What a nice guy. I was like, did you say your name was Frederick? It's, it's Frederick. <laughs> did, did I say that right? I don't know. <laughs> And now for our next section, without any musical accompaniment, because we don't want to get sued, mail time. The question of this fortnight is, what is a board game mechanic that you don't think you can get behind? You just don't, you just don't like it, necessarily. So David, what do you think? You've played a lot of board games. The first one that comes to mind is something I've mentioned on this podcast several times, is uh, push your luck games. It's just... I don't understand them. I don't find them fun. I just can't get behind them. Where you're pulling chips out of a bag, hoping not to bust. And I always end up busting way before, mathematically likely. And since I'm always doing the math in my head, it makes me angry. I don't want to calculate how unlucky I am. (laughs) And I don't need a game to shove that in my face. I played Quacks of Quedlinburg only once. Uh, I don't need to play that again, I don't think. If a game has a push-your-luck mechanic in it, it has to be something truly special for me to like it. Other than that, if I hear push-your-luck, I know it's just a pass for me. Do you think uh, there are any push-your-luck uh, push games that have come close to you enjoying, or or no? There have been. There's a game by the great designer Alexander Pfister called Port Royal. That's a push-your-luck game. That one's pretty good. And then... There's a game called Cubidos that I played recently that I keep thinking about. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it didn't help that I, I mean, it did help that I won. It's a game about rolling handfuls of dice. There's something <laughs> something thrilling about rolling handfuls of dice. And there's a rule in it that you can't bust until you have at least 3 results. So if you you roll all blanks, you're fine. You roll all blanks, you're fine until you have at least 3 things saved off to the side it's not oh you only get two do-overs before you bust or whatever it's you're good up until this point it has a practical safety net yeah it has a practical safety net and it's it's it was really well designed all right what about you what kind of what, what kind of board game mechanic do you not like the board game mechanic i do not like and i will say this with a small caveat 
and that this is for games that last longer than 30, 45 minutes. I do not like player elimination. Yeah. And when you're, when, not, you're, when you're out of a game, that just sucks. There's just those games where you can get your butt handed to you early and be out of the game. Like, I mean, legitimately out of the game early. <laughs> <laughs> and now you just have to uh, sit there and watch your friends play. <laughs> you get, get there and watch your friends play. I know, I know it can happen in, uh, in board games like Dune, but I think those are a little bit more balanced that it's not common. It's not so cutthroat, but there are board games where player elimination, uh, does happen. When you want to play a board game, you want to play a board game. You don't, you don't want to be kicked out and just watch your friends play. Like you said, it's just, how do you feel I, then when you're not really eliminated, but you're effectively eliminated? So you still have moves to make, but they're inconsequential. Do you count how do that I feel as, about it? Yeah, does that count as elimination to you? That was effectively my experience with that was effectively my experience with Food Chain Magnet, where the vast majority of the game I was just making my turns because I was obligated to make my turns. Uh, in that style of game, if there is a certain understanding going into those kinds of games that it is very cutthroat, then potentially. But for those kinds of games, you have to have clear communication with all the players that it's going to be cutthroat. You may not have very good turns. <laughs> You may not have a very good game. <laughs> uh, kind of like in Twilight Imperium. You can score no points <laughs> over the entire game. But there are still situations where you can enjoy it. I did. So I did think it was interesting in Ankh that there is player elimination, but it is not true player elimination where a player just sits up for the rest of the game. Uh, it is player elimination where the lowest player gets eliminated, but they merge with the second lowest player, so they are still taking turns. Um, I have not played enough of that game yet to have an opinion about how that how I feel about it completely. Uh, I can imagine some people getting upset. I have heard of people being able to win the game after they get merged just because they can efficiently take actions in a way that they couldn't beforehand. Uh, but I haven't seen it yet. So I, I would like to play more games before. It's just, it, I would say, I would still say it's player elimination because it, it eliminates your own personal agency and you're now combined with another player. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I just, I don't think I can do player elimination in, in longer games. In like social deduction games like Secret Hitler or um, uh, Werewolf or something like that. Yeah, Werewolf or something like that. Yeah, uh, that's fine. You're, you're there to have life. Player elimination's part of the fun. Yeah, because those games last like, what, 20 minutes maybe? Yeah, yeah. And that brings us to the end of another podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed what Michael and I had to say. And to the Brothers Murph, I only have one thing left to say. Can't wait to take you down when we finally get to play you in a game. 
Yeah, you're going to lose. We're pro gamers. <laughs> what a great threat. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any comments or questions for us, please email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com or join our Discord in the link below. You can also find us on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.